Uh, G'day, today we continue our series in the parables of Jesus. We're looking at Luke chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 1. Uh, If you can hear noises in the background, don't be afraid. That's just the tradies installing the kitchen, so don't be distracted by that. Luke chapter 16, Uh, I hope you've read it. Uh, If you haven't, you might pause and read Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Uh, quietly to yourself, read it carefully. Let's pray. Loving Father, we, we ask for your help as we come to your word. Uh, speak to our hearts by your spirit. Uh, show us uh, the goodness and grace of God. Uh, throw, show us the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith that we might live lives of joy and all praise and thanksgiving to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to Luke chapter 16, verse 1, we meet our characters where there is a rich man, the master, and his manager, a manager who squandered the rich man's possessions. Verse 2, the master says, what is this I hear? Hand in the accounts, you're fired. And notice in verse 3, there is absolutely no comeback. We might expect the manager to respond. Maybe he says, Master, I've served you. My father served your father. My grandfather served your grandfather. This is just a misunderstanding. He might say that. We might expect him to say, this isn't my fault. I don't have a thousand eyes. I can't watch everything. People I work with, people you put here, are thieves. We might expect him to say, well, where are my accusers? I'll sort the liars out. He doesn't gather good counter-witnesses, influential friends in the community that might plead his case. He doesn't try any of the strategies that we might think of and try. It's almost like his silence is a confession of his guilt. Seems he shuts his mouth and he just lets this situation play out. And it's like he's smart enough to know that his master... This rich man cannot be manipulated. He won't be pressured. Think about Adam in the garden. Think about sinners confronted by a holy God. When do we ever successfully offer excuses for the evil that we have done? Things that we have squandered, mistakes that we have made. Yet, like Adam... We might try. Or maybe like this bloke, we know the minute that we speak, we remove all doubt as to our guilt. In fact, the only conversation we have here in verse 3 is the one that he's having with himself. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what are my options? What shall I do? He's too soft to lift a spade. He's too ashamed to beg and he's not qualified anyway. It's not like he's blind or paralysed. He knows his limitations. But here comes the light bulb moment. Can you see it there in verse 4? I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Big idea. I need to work in someone else's house. That's the solution. 100% he does. To lose your job is to lose your reputation, your livelihood, 
and your home. Who's going to take him in? But here's an important detail. He's still got the books. He's still got the accounts. And here's another important detail. Anything he might do with regard to the rich man's books, anything that he might do with regard to the rich man's estate, it's going to be illegal, even voidable, because he no longer has authority. But those he does those he uh, does business with, they don't know that. They don't even know he's been fired. And so he dreams up a scheme in verses 5 to 6. In verses 5 to 6, if you read it, you'll see that the debtors are summonsed privately, one after the other. A substantial discount is offered. Happens quickly, no time for questions. Quick sign this, sign it now. We're not told if the debtors are blind to the ruse. What is for sure is that any deniability is plausible. That's the way it's been arranged, I think. And as you read these verses, it's like instead of repenting, this manager, he's just digging himself into an even bigger hole, isn't he? And what about the size of the discount that he's offered? In each case, it's about a year's wage. Though the percentages are different, the value is believed to be the same. Which means he's saving each debtor enough to employ someone for a year. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I wonder who on earth he might have in mind for employment. Now let's talk about discounts. No doubt you probably live in a household where someone in your household likes to boast about getting a discount. Who doesn't love a bargain? No one ever boasts about paying full price, do they? And in a village in ancient Palestine, how long do you think it will take for these stories to get out, these stories of generosity amongst family and friends? How long does it take for news to spread in your village? Maybe you're watching from Bingra or Lithgow, or Dalungra, or Ashford, or Inverell. It doesn't take long in any of those places. Certainly didn't take long when we lived in Barabar. The old bush telegraph, you can count on it. It's quicker than email, quicker than text messaging. And what's the story now in the village, do you think, in the community? It's, it's a story of a manager, isn't it? who apparently convinced his master to make huge reductions, big discounts. And so these guys, they've hit the jackpot. They're rubbing their hands together, thinking, oh, happy days. How much do you love the manager and his master? Aren't they terrific to do business with? They're so kind. They're so generous. They'll be talking about this for a long time. It's ridiculous generosity that won't be forgotten because, let's face it, people that live in a small village, they don't forget easily, do they? And now we see the manager turn to his master with the books as requested and he hands them over. And here's another really important question. 
See, if you're the master, what are you going to do if you're the rich man? Option, you could throw him in jail. Option, you could sell him as a slave as a way of recouping the losses of some of them. Legally, he could go to the village and explain that the discounts were not authorised. The steward, the, the manager, was actually fired. He had no authority. And, of course, that would spell doom for the manager. That would change the story entirely. He had no legal right to do any of this. He could tell that story. The master could pop the balloon and the party would be over. Can you imagine the disappointment? He's entitled to, to take this measure. But do you reckon if he did it, it would be bad for business? Do you think it would sour relationships and reflect badly on the reputation? Well, not only of the manager, because he's gone, but the rich man, the master himself. With a flick of a switch, his reputation would change from being generous and gracious. Now he's a spoil sport. His house isn't in order. And he gives with one hand and he takes with the other. But of course, the alternative is just to let it pass. In which case, there is no popping of said balloon. The party continues and his reputation... Well, it's skyrocketed and it continues to skyrocket and it will be remembered for a long time. Is there a cost? Absolutely. Who will bear this cost? The master will bear the cost. He will bear the cost of all of it, including the cost of this Dishonest man's salvation. This dishonest man has endeared himself to multiple prospects. His future is sorted. Now he's got his pick. He gambled big time. He took a massive risk to secure his future. And he succeeds. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly why because this whole ruse banks entirely on the generosity and the grace of the master he knows his master well enough he knows what his master is like and it's like the master sees what plays out and claps his hand and he nods and he says, yeah, well played, well played. I see what you did there. And now he's commended, maybe even admired. The word commended is a positive word. It's he's now pleasing. Shrewd, nonetheless. And well may we deem these actions to be dishonest. But remember, this is an example from the world. It's an example that Jesus wants his people to learn from. But being dishonest is not the thing to learn. That's not the point. That's not what is commended. His shrewdness is. So let's have a think about how we apply this. 
there are a few things to learn. Firstly, about salvation. Our loving Father is like the Master. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and grace and mercy, ready to forgive, ready to bless. This parable teaches us that you can always bank on God's grace, that God's grace is a sure thing, that it always has been a sure thing, always will be a sure thing. And are you comforted by that? This is a parable that magnifies God's grace. You might think the stakes were high risk. Absolutely. In the parable they were. He he laid it all on the line. But when it comes to our loving Father and his grace, there is no risk at all. His grace is always bigger than our guilt. And so it's never a gamble to come before God. It's never a risk. And so the invitation is to come to him. Come to him with all of your with all of your debt. Come to him with all of your guilt and let him deal with it. More about salvation. God's grace is anchored, it's secured by the cross. Just as the master bears the cost in this parable, do we see in the cross of Jesus Christ our master pays the price for us. He willingly bears the cost of our redemption and salvation. Can you see that? And again, are you comforted by that? See that the grace of God is magnified, but so too is the cross of Jesus Christ, which means there's always forgiveness on the table. Here's the second thing I think we're supposed to learn. It's about God's mission. See, in verse 8, Jesus observes that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with people of their own kind than are the people of the light. The world rolls differently to people of God's kingdom. Verse 9, Jesus says, So use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? Have a look at where the focus is. Worldly wealth is temporary. Eternity, eternal dwellings is forever. And at the centre of both in this sentence are friendships. Friendships are at the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Just as the shrewd manager used earthly wealth to foster friendships and so secured for himself a future... Boy, did he do that. In Christ, as people of the light, our future is already secure. Eternal dwellings, uh, heaven is ours. And because it's secure, because eternity is ours, we should then be free to use our wealth to be generous in our friendships all to the glory of God. I mean, it's all God's anyway. If the world wisely uses resources and wealth to influence relationships and further its cause, then why not the people of the kingdom? For the cause of the kingdom. We are all in a position to point other people to the extraordinary generosity of a gracious Heavenly Father. 
And if you can use your means to do that, then you must. Have you heard the phrase, money talks? Jesus is saying, with our friendships, that we can use our financial resources so that they talk about Jesus and his kingdom and the generosity and grace of God. Networking is a thing in the world. We need to get that principle and apply it to the kingdom. It means being hospitable. It means looking for opportunities to serve with your stuff. Sponsor a compassion child. Our COVID world provides lots of opportunities at the moment. Nothing is surer. And so part of our witness as being people of light is through showing generosity to others, being people of light that bring relief to others. And we see that in church history. If we know church history, it's little wonder it was Christians who established health care and hospitals or welfare or schools or the care of workers, which has now become the union movement. Of course, this is a mission that the Pharisees were blind to. Pharisees, verse 14, they're in this story, they're at the end. They love money. They're listening in and they're sneering at Jesus because they know what he's saying. Pharisees, in verses 10 to 13, who, that's just like a rapid-fire accusation, I think, Jesus makes at the Pharisees, and he's claiming that they are dishonest and they can't be trusted. Pharisees, who, like this manager, has squandered so much. Think of the temple system. Instead of being a place where you worship God, it became a money factory. Jesus himself said it had been turned into a den of robbers, thieves. And so Jesus says, your time is up. You are fired. But here's the trick. Are they shrewd? Are they clever enough? Did they foster relationships that are going to be good for them and honour God, elevate God and his reputation? Were they clever enough even to trade on God's goodness and grace? And the answer is no, they didn't. No, they would sooner peddle in guilt than forgive a debt. They would sooner load people up with more and more debt and more and more taxes and more and more sin and more and more law and more and more restrictions. I mean, this dodgy bloke looks unreal compared to the average Pharisee. And that really is some kind of indictment. And I think that's part of Jesus' intention here. Gets you wondering, how does this shrewd manager compare to the story of the prodigal son? That's, a, that's the story immediately before this one. It's curious because both squandered wealth and riches. Both hit a low point. Both had a light bulb moment. Where the light bulb moment was, oh, I've got to think about my future. I've got to think about my, my home, where I'm going to live. Both of them took a massive risk. And they traded on the generosity of their master for the shrewd manager or the father for the son. And they both throw themselves on his mercy. Both parables deal with broken trust. 
And so then we might say, well, what's the difference here? And the answer, I think, is as simple as the mission of God. We see it clearly here in this parable. Uh, A generous God who wants us to be generous to others. He wants us to be a blessing to others, even with our stuff. Knowing that, that one day it's going to be gone, but our eternal future never will be gone. That is always secure. It is forever secure. So with what's temporary, just be generous. Be light. Bring relief to those in need. See, investing in the future for a believer is not building bigger barns and loading up the superannuation so that you can one day eat, drink and be merry. No, investing in the future is to do all of those things so that everybody else can, to the glory of God. It's to love God and to love your neighbour practically and materially to the glory of God as a witness, as light in the world. It's to think missionally, to be part of God's program, his mission in Inverell and beyond because the only investment that really lasts forever, the only investment that counts for eternity is the proclamation of Jesus. Ultimately, that's the thing. That's the goal. And so, brothers and sisters, be bold, be daring, be courageous like the shrewd manager when it comes to God's generosity and his grace. The shrewd manager's success came down to the abundant generosity and grace of the master. That's what he banked on. He banked on it wholeheartedly, and so can we. He's commended for knowing his master. He opts to risk everything in the confidence that mercy and generosity are at the core of the master's identity. And so a question for us then today is, is this the God that you know? Is this at the core of the identity of the God that you know? Do you have a supreme confidence in his mercy and generosity as the core of his character? And isn't this exactly like what God has done for us in Jesus? Jesus doesn't wipe away part of the debt. He wipes it all away. He doesn't give you a discount. He gets rid of it all. He pays the price for our salvation, such as his grace. And yeah, you can bank on it. You can literally bank your life on it because of the cross. And so now we go out and we share that grace and that generosity and that enormous blessing with others. And so may God give us the grace to see people's needs physically and spiritually, to meet them with gratitude in our hearts, for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus.